Welcome back to the Exit Reveal podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cohen, and I'm joined tonight by my coworker and friend, Henry Winklehig. Today, we have some very interesting news with the new MLB Player Association proposal. It's very interesting, 114 games, longer playoffs, and we already have kind of a counter proposal too. So we have an excellent show for you guys tonight. First off, Henry, how are you doing? Uh, Adam, I'm doing well, all things considered. Um, Very fortunate to be healthy and safe right now. But uh, to be honest, I am troubled to see the injustice that that still happens so routinely around our country. And I'm very saddened that people feel they have no option to express themselves by uh, some of the protests that we have seen have taken a violent turn in some cities. Uh, But still, I am... uh, very much in support of all those who are protesting peacefully. And I am very hopeful that we can bring about meaningful change. I, I don't mean to, to go off on a tangent. We have a lot of baseball to discuss tonight. I just, just felt that it was uh, needed to be addressed at the top of tonight's show. But but how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, and I'm, I'm grateful that you mentioned that, actually. Of course, we are sports podcasters, and we're here to bring relief and talk about issues that aren't as important, even though MLB seasons mean so much to us. We obviously understand it's a very, very tough times for all Americans and especially the African-American community and justice for George Floyd, of course. So we stand there with you and you guys are, of course, in our hearts. And we hope that we can bring you about 45 minutes or so of good baseball relief because we have some very interesting and exciting news about the season. Yeah, things are really heating up in these last couple days, man. It's been back and forth proposals flying all over the place. I think we actually had uh, another proposal kind of coming in as we were doing our show prep tonight. So we've we've got even more to talk about than we anticipated. So let's dive right in. Exactly. I had to like fiercely like put them in the dots and I was testing you before. I'm like, oh, they have another update. It's just... I'm loving it because now we have a week until week or so until we hear if there's going to be a season or not. And I think odds are it's going to be the case. Yeah, it's it's very much go time because uh, we don't have much more time. If this thing is going to get done, if we're going to start in early July, it's got to be this week is what it looks like. And yeah, I'm starting to feel pretty optimistic with you too, Adam. I think we're inching closer to a deal. We will definitely get into why we're feeling more optimistic towards the end. But when I first heard this proposal, I was actually pretty frustrated, not by the fact that there was 114 games or how the players wanted more money because a longer season would mean they get more pro-rated pay. I was more annoyed by the fact that the Player Player Association went the complete opposite direction. I thought that was pretty insane and pretty ballsy, if I dare say, to just totally reject the sliding scale and for the players to just say, hey, this is what we want, plain and simple, you know, our way and the highway, I was, I would even dare say, say to speak, because only a week left, and that was a very strong idea to ask for that many games and to even put players such as low-risk players that they can opt out of the season, still get service time, very important and and ballsy proposal by the players. You make a, a great point, Adam, that it is a very bold proposal. They they swung for the fences, uh, to use a baseball analogy. We are a baseball show after all. But uh, as I've, I've kind of tended to side with the players throughout this, and I was very happy to see them reject the sliding scale proposal because I think most people agreed that that was – at least a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so I'm happy to see them sticking to their guns with prorated salaries. The 114 games definitely struck me as as odd, uh, but I thought it sounded awesome at first when I when I first read that. I'm like, all right, 114 games in like 120 days. That sounds like a baseball fan's heaven. Um, and then another thing I thought about was, so are, are we going to be playing the World Series in the first week of December? Because <laughs> This is going to last for a while. I wouldn't complain, but yeah, it definitely was a departure from what we had seen last week and and some bold points there. I'm hoping that uh, the players are trying to be intentionally ambitious there and, and in the hopes of meeting more in the middle. 
it definitely is almost a negotiation or PR tactic where owners give like their side of the like, hey, we're going to pay you less than 50%, give you another pay cut. We're going to give Mike Trout only $7 million of his original $37 million salary, which even if you are totally against players making that much, even if you're not a capitalist, that's a big decrease. And everyone, a lot of people were on the same page about that, how like, okay, that that's kind of a big jump, no matter where you stand. So I think with the idea that both sides are just saying what they want to say, both sides of the spectrum, now maybe you will see some closing in here, hopefully. And I think we already started to see that a little bit with the counter proposal coming in. Uh, well, I guess it's it's still kind of a tentative counter proposal mm-hmm. at this point with the owners. Uh, it had been said fifty to sixty games was what they were coming back with, but still that that very tentative. Uh, like we said, that's that's not a for sure thing. So maybe that is is a sign of inching closer to that middle ground there. Uh, but another piece of that uh, tentative counter proposal coming from the owners is. I thought they were expected to stick with prorated salaries as well. Is that correct, Adam? Yeah, they were going to stick with it. And it's actually pretty funny because the Players Association has been using the March agreement to the fullest extent. Like They are using that as law, and they are sticking with their guns with the prorated salary, even though there probably is a legitimate cause where they won't get the prorated salary if there's no fans. And now they're saying, okay, we're going to use that same clause we're going to use that same March agreement and we're going to dictate the schedule and we'll, we'll, we will give you prorated play, but instead of 50%, like, like we originally, like we originally said, it'll be about 30%. <laughs> so it's almost like a big middle finger to the players saying like, all right, well, you're not going anywhere near what we want to. Here's what we're going to offer. Luckily, this is a last ditch proposal. So still about a week, a little bit more than that's time. For them to figure it out and hopefully find a middle ground. It was it was a power move by the the owners to kind of use the players' own medicine against them there and sticking to that March proposal. Um, but I think that you know we could be getting closer to that middle ground, and I think that both sides coming to an agreement there, sort of on prorated salaries, could be a good sign that that's one less thing to argue about. You get that squared away, and then. That's just a couple more points to to get, and you can start to squint, see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we're almost there. Um, but I, what I would expect to happen is if the players are saying 114 games, and then the owners are putting this out 50 to 60 games, that ultimately it ends up being somewhere around 80 is 80 or so games, and I think everybody could win in that range. At least I'm hoping so. Well, 80 games would be more ideal. For example, I was just thinking about this. The Marlins, who are obviously one of the worst teams in baseball, they can go on a 28-22 and 22 run and make the playoffs. They, they don't deserve to make the playoffs. I am sorry. This is not the Marlins season quite yet. I don't even care if it's a shortened season. They're, they should not belong to the playoffs, hands down, unless they legitimately go like on a 50-30 and 30 tear or so. But that seems unlikely. So... It's, it's nice to see, and a lot of analysts are saying, like, okay, because these two sides are at such odds with games right now, maybe not even at prorated salaries, which is, of course, good news, we can meet somewhere in the middle. So essentially, we might see kind of the original deal the owner sure. set, except with prorated pay, which that's, would be pretty hilarious. That's what negotiating is all about. It gets you to come back around to something you didn't think you liked, and then ultimately you're going to settle on it anyways. That would be a stroke of genius uh, by the owners, but I think if the players uh, are able to stick with that prorated salary agreed to in March, that that would be seen as a victory uh, in the Players Association with how contested that point looked at times a couple weeks ago, how how uh, the owners didn't seem to have very much interest at all in, in sticking with that. It does definitely seem like the owners are starting to at least wrap their heads around it, give the players a you know, definitely a push with the 50 games, but saying like, okay, we we hear the prorated salary. We're not going to try to cut things off by taxing the higher players or just trying to pay them like 40% or give them a second pay cut, which the players clearly don't want. So this is definitely, it doesn't sound like progress, but I, I think we're starting to get towards the end of this whole negotiations. 
I agree. And yeah, it is, it is with so many different variables being negotiated at once, it's, it's kind of difficult to tell where we are in terms of progress. But again, I go back to the way we're starting to see these proposals flying around a little bit more frequently as a sign that negotiations are heating up, that the sides are hopefully willing to compromise and that they are exhausting all avenues to an agreement. And they're trying at the, at the very least. Um, and, you know, I think that we can't say that, that they're not trying to make a season happen. And ultimately, people are still going to be very disappointed if it doesn't. But I'm happy to see that, that they are fighting for it. I think the first olive branch we saw, and I wouldn't even really consider an olive branch, was a part of this player deal was that, okay, if there's no, if there's no playoffs this year, then the highest paid players would get deferrals, which is very, very specific. And I know people are afraid of this second wave. And yes, it, there's definitely some legitimacy to it. But once the season gets going, I still find it difficult for it to just come to a close or for the playoffs not to happen after them waiting so long to get it underway. So I thought it was very weird how the players were saying like, look, if worst, worst comes to worst, you can have some deferrals. Okay. Like that, that was their first olive branch. And it's not really too much of an olive branch, but at least it's the players just thinking a little bit about the owners there. I do agree with you, Adam, that I think this is unlikely to come into effect and that if the season does start, I would be surprised uh, if the playoffs ended up being canceled. But I do think it is important to take that into consideration with knowing that we don't know everything about this virus at this point and that things still could change. I think it's important to kind of have that security blanket there or security net, if you will, uh, but I think that it is nice to see an olive branch extended and hopefully there's a little bit of goodwill created there and maybe that helps uh, get some other things done. I don't think this is the one point that pushes the negotiations over the hump, but I, I certainly don't think it can hurt. It's progress and you make a good point in how, okay, yes, worst comes to worst. This is how it goes. This is how the player association is this, this is them giving an olive branch and how owners will get some of their money back if there are no playoffs. So that's, that's not a terrible idea. And that's kind of where the sliding scale or the deferrals come into play, which is very different from the original deferrals where we thought where, okay, the higher played players such as Mike Trout, they'll just get their salaries deferred. They'll get it later on fully guaranteed, fully prorated but just not right now. So very different what we had in mind originally about deferrals, but it is funny to see them incorporating this in, in that such of a manner. Yeah, and, and I, I do like that there is contingency planning going on, uh, even if it is unlikely uh, to have to be executed. It kind of makes me go back to the, the health and safety proposal uh, where they were talking about what's going to happen if and when a player did test positive. It's just... It's encouraging to see that these things are being considered uh, because you you have to think about the what ifs and when you're getting such a massive league, uh, such a massive organization mobilized that you have to consider all these possibilities. And I'm, I'm just happy that, that these things are being discussed. MLB has done a really great job of pretty much thinking of everything. Even a week, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the health and safety proposal, and now the high-risk players and now low-risk players, well, now we actually have an option for it, too, which is which is great. And it might not be the best thing for the players or even the best thing for the owners, but essentially what how it came about was that the high-risk players, they can opt out the season, get their money, get their service time. All in favor of that, owners shouldn't object. But the players who decide to opt out are low-risk or perhaps have low-risk. Uh, they're they're low-risk people, but maybe their families are high-risk. They can get service time, but they won't be paid. Now, I thought that was a little interesting because, well, you could argue that players should still get paid because, you know, they wouldn't want to not play unless they had legitimate reason not to. The same time, the owners might want to think, well, you're not playing at all, so why should you have that service time? Why should we lose control of our player, which we get for the first six years before they're able to enter for agency? I can still see that point kind of contested, but overall, they're really starting to crap down in all the what ifs. 
Yeah, and I, I really kind of hate to side with the owners on on this stuff, but if a guy's not doing his job, then I mean, if in granted, if he is a high risk individual and there is legitimate safety concerns for him, I totally get it. But if it's determined that you're like on like ninety nine point nine 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 percent, like you're probably gonna be fine. And I shouldn't throw out arbitrary statistics that I'm making up, by the way, either. Uh, put a disclaimer on that. With that, that was a made up statistic by me. But I, I think that players, the low risk players, I'm glad that they're not getting totally screwed over by that, and that they still get the year of service time. I think it's important to take that into consideration, to where you're not completely forcing players to go out there and play in a pandemic. It's nice that they are considering those what ifs, and that they have a little bit of flexibility built in there. And even nicer, I am. I'm very happy to see that they are pledging uh, full pay for the high risk individuals. I would be pretty surprised, as I mentioned, if the owners really try to contest that because you you can't blame a player who's high risk to say, "All right, I'm out because I don't want to endanger my life." You only get one chance at life, of course. So why risk it on a on a pretty crazy pandemic on a, in a shortened season? Yeah, like Jameson, uh, Jameson Tyon, sorry to cut you off there. Like he had cancer like a couple of years ago, right? Like it would, it would make sense if he had a weakened immune system and didn't feel safe playing. Exactly. And yeah, no worries. And yeah, so it, enough said there. That should be hands down what the players and can agree against. Again, we might see that low risk point contested a bit, but nonetheless, it does seem like at least health and safety wise, we should be in a good place moving forward. Absolutely. And that's important that, you know, when all these negotiations were first heating up, that kind of seemed like an afterthought at first. Uh, You saw guys like Sean Doolittle speak out adamantly against that. And then the needle moved and the league listened and health and safety, they put out that extensuous, is that a word? Uh, (laughs) Extensuous. It was a, if it's not a word, it should be trying to make it up. It's, you know what I'm trying to say? They put out Mm -hmm. a really big proposal and, you know, they checked every box. They looked at everything and health and safety is being prioritized and that should be the number one priority. And so we're in a good place that all that is squared away. We just got to agree about the money now. Well, from the moment that Baseball really started to offer negotiations. It's always been about the money <laughs> and it's health and safety. <laughs> yeah, it's always about the money, exactly. And health and safety are always secondary, but at least now they're in agreement. And now we can really just focus on this economic dispute for the last week. Yeah, so that's, uh, in theory, we got the life and death stuff taken care of. So we can we can get the money figured out and there should be enough middle ground, right? To where both sides can come out ahead. And I don't think that, that you know, neither side has a reason to not want a season here. And I, and you do worry a little bit when you see uh, teams like the A's and the Pirates who don't seem totally on board uh, with having a season. They're cutting costs a little more aggressively uh, than some of the other teams. So I don't know. Um, should we be worried that that the owners aren't all on board, or should we be worried about the players, or should we be worried about one more than the other? Sorry, that's that's asking a lot of questions at once. No, it's all good. They're all really good questions. See, I think with all this, these new proposals to me. I mean, we had a new proposal yesterday, and now we're discussing it today. And then the owners just add another proposal, which is the fifty game one that we've discussed. So. Things are moving fast. We're learning new information pretty much by the minute. And with the big guys such as Passa, Nightingale, Rosenthal, and Heyman, are laying information to us so we can do, of course, podcasts, obviously, indirectly, of course. Uh, so pretty much bottom line, you should not, fans should not be too worried that the owners are trying to derail the season. Yes, there are some greedy teams like the A's and the Pirates, and you can argue that most of the teams are being greedy right now, but they still want a season. Everyone kind of really understands that if they don't have a season right now, it'll be worse for everyone. Even if the owners do lose games, they know that the fans will be entirely against it, especially if they can't figure out a season over money. So they are trying really hard despite them being seemingly very far apart coming into yesterday. It's a new day though today. 
It'll probably be a new situation tomorrow in the next coming days during this week. So just stay tuned with that. And hopefully the owners and the players can make this happen. And I do want to call out a couple of good examples uh, from teams as far as uh, laying off employees. I, I called out a couple of bad ones, but the Royals uh, have committed to paying their minor league players through the year. Uh, I think the Reds are, are doing it through September as well. So um, I'm kind of jumping into the next point here. We're going to talk about all the minor league layoffs as well, but that, that's a big part of it too and, and the cost cutting. But it, it is good to see that you know, there are a lot of players being released around minor league baseball, but there are some teams that are stepping up and making commitments to pay their players, pay their employees, and to take care of people in these difficult economic times. And I think that is, is really great behavior from the owners, and that's something that all teams should strive to emulate. I saw this amazing quote just to touch upon about the Royals organization, because I believe so far they're the only – team i think with the marlins actually because the marlins were a little a week ago they're the royals and the marlins are the only two teams right now that are paying their players a full benefits full stipend salaries and not letting go of any employees or minor league players to the best of my knowledge correct me from ron of course until the end of the season which is amazing because they're not the richest organizations and gm data Moore said it perfectly we know that a lot of these players will make it past high A or double A or triple A or just out of the minors, but they'll go on after their career and turn into coaches and help their communities learn about baseball. So we don't want to give them that bad taste in their mouth right now. We want to make sure that they still love baseball at the end of the day. And that's, that's essentially what he said, which is I think is just amazing on his part. Absolutely. You're making several great points there, Adam. I didn't know that the Marlins had committed to playing uh, to paying everybody but yeah, that is even more impressive when you consider nobody goes to Marlins games. I don't know how they make any money to begin with, but all, uh, all jokes aside, it is, it is great to see that they're making that commitment. And like you said too, Adam, I, I love to see that they're fostering that next generation of players, that love for the game, knowing that many of these minor leaguers will go on to be coaches and teachers of the game. And I think you could speak to that in, in your episode from earlier today that you recorded uh, with your coach from college. He was a former minor leaguer, right? Yeah, exactly. If you haven't checked that one out, I had this very special interview with uh, the college coach. I'm not a college baseball player, but I broadcast for the team and I actually do data analytics for them. Such a nice guy, really amazing interview. And yeah, he was essentially saying that it's really tough to be a minor league player even past the money, he, he was describing how each year there's due management and how they're trying to change his pitch, his pitch st pitching style and his pitching repertoire. It's very mentally taxing. He, he was giving me examples of how Derek Jeter, he struck him out actually in the minors, but he also gave up nine hits to him. So it's just, there's so many high highs and there's so many low lows in the minor leagues. So even without pay, it's just terrible and, and it's really tough on them. But He's just turned out to be an excellent coach. He's really helped the pitchers, really great guy, especially on the mental side of baseball. So it's amazing that even though his career was cut short, even though he didn't make it uh, to the highest level, he's still giving back to the community, which I think is a very beautiful and amazing thing. And I think from the league's perspective, it goes to show that forward thinking isn't just uh, stats and analytics that it can be real people too. And you're making an investment in the lives of these minor league players who love the game, who you know are going to go on to be a huge part of raising that next generation of ball players and raising interest in the game for years to come, which if you haven't heard is a big problem for major league baseball. We need new fans. We need a young generation of fans. That's why they're doing all this. Let the kids play bat flips and all that. The game needs to be more exciting and, Part of that is having good teachers, having people who are passionate about the game to share it with our nation's youth. I hate to play devil's advocate here, but I was doing a little bit of research earlier just for fun. And when you see all these teams letting go of ridiculous amount of players, the Diamondbacks let go of 64 minor league baseball players, the Mariners let go of 30, and he's let go of 45. These are all rough estimates, of course, but that's kind of the the bottom line for them. It's actually very interesting because by the end of the year for most teams, 
they usually let go around 50 players, which is odd because you wouldn't think about that. But with all the new players bringing in and just all these minor league players, which they don't think see fit with their organization, at the end of the day, they let them go. So it might not be totally about the money with them, which is at least good. But at the same time, we're in unprecedented territory right here. We're in a pandemic. Minor leaguers aren't being paid a lot of money. They can't file for unemployment to the best of my knowledge because they're part of this huge organization. So even though holding on to or letting go of 50 players is the norm and big organizations are doing this still, the Marlins in the world who are some of the poorest organizations are not. And it just shows to show that if they really wanted to, they could keep and retain all these players. Well, what that says to me, Adam, is that I don't think it's very likely that we're going to see minor league baseball played this year. And they're kind of just not delaying the inevitable and going ahead and making those cuts so they can start saving costs right away. It is unfortunate, but we've seen even before all this started, minor league baseball was either barely profitable or unprofitable in a lot of towns uh, across the country. And so it's, with no fans in attendance, it's there's just really no way for a lot of these games to get played. And then you kind of have to cancel the whole thing, unfortunately, uh, from the minor league, at least, I should say. Do you do you agree with me? Do you think it's it's unlikely that we see minor league baseball this year? I think you're right. I think when the A's just said, hey, we're pretty much not paying any of our minor leaguers, that's when you know it's done. Right. They, have, they have nothing to play for at that point. Yeah. It's sad. It's and, it's terrible. And I believe like a thousand plus minor leaguers have now been cut throughout baseball, which it is a staggering number. And I'm glad that you added that it is standard to see about 50 players cut from each organization at the end of the year. That's not something that I had considered. So that makes me feel a little, I guess, like a little more normal about this, that it's not as drastically far off from the norm as I thought, but it's it's still concerning to see it all happen at once and to see it happen before we've had any type of season at all. The owners are still being greedy, of course. No, no doubt about that. I think the most ridiculous part about all of this, and once again, Doolittle will come to light here too, is that the Nationals said, all right, we're going to cut down your $400 weekly stipend to $300. First of all, what, what does that do? What, what good does that do? That's just plain and stupid to begin with. Just cutting $100 from 200 players or so, that, that's nothing to the organization. I know Ryan and I talked dollar amount and how that's a little bit different last time around when we just spoke about these proposals, but that's still not that much. So what happened was the players had a Zoom call right afterwards and they said, hey, we're going to just chip in and pay the $100 to all of these minor leaguers. Then the owners saw this and they reversed their decision. So it's just, it's easy that they can just not do that if they so choose. It's it's ridiculous. That was absolutely ridiculous. You said it. That is a drop in the bucket. They're going to make that money up in beer sales alone over a homestand. That was ridiculous to do that. And I, I loved to see the Nats go to bat for their minor leaguers. We've seen a couple more examples of that throughout the league. Notably, David Price uh, stepping up to pay the, all the Dodgers minor leaguers. He hasn't played a game in Los Angeles yet. Exactly. That is, He must be a pretty special guy. And I have heard that he is a very high character individual. So I am, I'm very happy to see the players looking out for the minor guys, knowing that they were there once and having respect for the hustle and the grind and knowing that, you know, they are very well off and very fortunate to be major league baseball players. And they can uh, take a little bit, set a little bit aside to, to help out the guys still trying to make it there. I know the players outnumber the owners by quite a large margin, but they're the ones doing these promos to help the players feel better. I know Pete Alonso has called a ton of people during this pandemic. I see signs of Aaron judge throughout New York city saying that we're, we're in this together and holding up signs saying like, you are the real heroes throughout this. So we see Mike Trout pay off some money. We see Mookie best pay for everyone at a grocery store. So you don't really see owners too often doing these great works of charity right now. You're seeing the players do it. And I, I don't think the owners are entirely in the wrong here, but I think the players are showing a lot more compassion. And the owners in this situation. 
I agree with you. From from what I've seen, I've heard a lot more about players stepping up in these situations, which isn't to say that the owners aren't necessarily. I, I'm not going to pretend like me and you ha- know everything going on. I'm, I'm sure that there's some stuff that, that falls through the cracks for us. And, and the owners, I'm sure, are, are doing something. But we, I have heard, too, more examples from players stepping up which kind of seems a little bit backwards to me. You'd think that mm-hmm. the billionaires would be in a little bit better position to help than the millionaires. Granted, they're all still pretty uh, pretty well off relatively, but I am glad that someone is stepping up to alleviate that burden, especially, I mean, I think it speaks volumes that the players are doing it when sometimes it's the owner's decisions that are leading to the financial hardships in the first place. I mean, I guess to be technical, the coronavirus is leading to the financial hardships, but forcing the hand of the owners. So I, it's it's good PR for the players to step up and to be taking care of the minor league guys, and it makes them look good in the public's eye. And I think I, I think that would definitely build a little bit of support around their cause in these negotiations. Don't you feel like all of these negotiations are just a PR stunt? I just saw one thing. I didn't watch the episode from Talking Baseball, which is a really great podcast that you guys should also check out. But I, I just saw one thing that said PR stunt. It just made me think, well, it does seem like that, how the information gets leaked, the fans are upset, the players respond, the players get bashed. <laughs> it's just this endless cycle. And at the end of the day, no one's happy. Everyone would just wish there was a full season, which is obviously not the case. It just seems like a giant PR stunt and we'll just hear the result at the end of the week and we'll just have to deal with it. (laughs) And it's interesting to see the way that media can kind of be weaponized in these negotiations to get your way. You leak a certain detail about the proposal that you found particularly egregious to try and make the owners look bad or vice versa. And then, yeah, you see players tweeting like, this is like out in the media being reported before 90% of us can, can even read it. I forgot who said that, but and it is telling that so much of this is, I guess, coming to the public even before the players have time to process it. But for our purposes, I'm pretty fond of it. It gives us more to talk about. And it's nice as a fan to not kind of be left totally in the dark wondering what's going on. It kind of It is nice to see a little bit of progress, know that we're getting closer to a deal. I will say, though, every time I see a proposal, I just kind of, like, lose my breath a little bit. I skip a heartbeat because I'm saying, oh, maybe this will go off the deep end and maybe they won't agree. So as entertaining it is that we have something going on during this time baseball-wise or having some type of negotiations, it's scary because we just all want the season to happen. Our biggest fear is that we wouldn't get anything or this strike can go on a few years later on. So every time I just skip a beat a bit, but... You just have to remind yourselves that, hey, this is likely, and they're working through it. Yeah, we can. We just got to hope for the best and continue, uh, hope to continue to see progress made. But yeah, I'm definitely there with you, holding my breath whenever I see these proposals. I'm just fingers crossed that this is going to be the one that both sides agreed to. And certainly uh, falling for some fake tweets uh, throughout the last couple days and weeks. I saw a fake passing the count uh, that said, like, both sides have agreed they're starting the season early July, and I started to celebrate. I'm like, yes, finally, <laughs> finally we have baseball. But it was a fake account with the one little emoji thing that looks like the check mark, but it's not actually. So watch out for those folks. You won't find uh, any fake check marks, actually, if you follow these, uh, these um, Twitter at handles is, is what they're called. I do use Twitter. I sound like someone who doesn't, but you should follow me and Adam on Twitter if you're if you're listening along with us and you want to hear more sports opinions. Uh, shameless plug of our Twitter accounts. Of course, and I'm sure you guys can see in the description too. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, so on and so forth. The Bat Sports Page website. So again, shameless plug here at Bat Sports Page. Well, I do want to, before we do head out, I do want to mention a very fun part of the proposal, and this would be the playoff format. Oh, there yeah. would be 14 teams. Henry and I and Ryan, too, have talked about in the past how you don't really want too many more playoff teams, but it's still interesting. It's still a fun concept. Essentially, how would it work if there is a 114-game season or around that margin? We could see seven teams per league making it to the playoffs. 
three division winners, four wild card teams, and the best team in the league would get a buy into the next round. So by that logic, Henry, uh, what do you like about it, and what do you dislike about this new playoff format? So I'm like turn. I'm torn between my long term and short term interest here because long term I like the playoffs how they are. But given how out of whack this year is, I think it makes sense to account for some of that randomness that we were talking about early earlier, like the Marlins could go 24 and 24 and make the playoffs. So I think widening the field a little bit accounts for that to where if you're a good team and if you struggle a little bit, you still have a better shot of making the playoffs because there's an extra, an extra couple spots uh, up for grabs here. Um, no, or is it just, do I know the, the playoff format? Is this an extra one spot or two spots, Adam? Two spots. Extra two spots. Okay, an extra couple spots after all up for grabs. I think it's exciting. I think a bigger playoff could is as good for the shortened season. And, you know, I've said it before, as a fan of a fringe team, and I say that jokingly, like it is good for the Cubs, obviously, but I think that could drive a lot of interest from some of those mid-level teams to where, you have more to play for. Your team's not necessarily selling at the deadline. A bigger playoff means that it's more attainable for more teams. So you try harder down the stretch. You have less teams tanking. But we still could see tanking because, yes, there are these fringe teams like the Cubs and the Mets and the Diamondbacks, just to name a few. The Orioles and the Marlins are still a long ways away. And it might take them a little while for them to get up to that fringe wall. Maybe tanking would be a little bit less amount of time, which would be good. So not it's not totally terrible that we would see more playoff games, but I think with the fact that this player's proposal suggests we do this for not one year, but two years, it's going to be permanent. MLB is not going to say no to playoff games, so you can't just take that away. It could be fun. Maybe we'll all get used to it just with the when they added the extra wild card team. That could very well happen. But I just wish it was just a one-year thing, and then it got rid of it. Yeah, and I thought that was so weird to see that second year tacked on there. And I, I hadn't thought about it, but what you just said right there, Adam, I think that definitely does speak to that that is what the future looks like, an expanded playoff. I just, I don't know, I thought that was a strange thing to tack on. I, for me, it seems logical to do it for one year and then, I personally kind of want to see the game go back to normal uh, next year as, as I want all of uh, life to go back to normal. I would, I would take a regular season, normal playoffs. Um, but I think you are right that ultimately we will see an expanded playoff and people complained about it when we did see that extra added or added uh, wild card spot. And I actually really like that now. So maybe I would come around to this long-term and, I guess we would know better after seeing how it uh, how it's executed this year. Exactly. I, I do have one more critique of that playoffs. So if you are going to go that route and the best team has a bye, well, they can't just sit around and twiddle their thumbs for an extended period of time. You have to make those, I guess what you would call them, wild card series. You have to make them go pretty quick or else, well, the other team will get they won't get lazy, but they won't be playing competitive baseball and they could be worse. So if you're going to have even a best of five series, that doesn't make sense. It would have to be best of three and then go right into the division series if that's going to be the case. The old rust versus rest debate, Adam. I'm glad that that's not going anywhere in this new proposal because those are a lot of fun a lot of fun debates to have once we get around playoff time. Uh, and you could you'd make the case the other way too mm -hmm. that you, your pitchers get an extra extended rest and they're all ready to go out there throw complete games and pitch on three days rest. Uh, but you know there certainly is a rust factor too to where I would like my team to stay a little bit more loose and and ready to go. So it is it is weird to see a first round by that's that's not something that that we're used to seeing in baseball. So it feels kind of uncomfortable, I guess, to imagine what that might look like. But, I mean, you you still want the Yankees to be in first place, right? Of course, yeah. I don't want to get eliminated in a three- or five-game series by the White Sox if they are one of the fringe teams that make the playoffs. That wouldn't feel good. At least we get to go to the Vision Series. So, yes, and at the end of the day, I want the best team to get the bye. Just, just not for a week, maybe a few days or so, and 
you know, let the other team get a little bit of rest. But the best team should have a little bit more, just not to the extent where it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Condensing that first round would, would be a good way to combat that. Henry, if you had to choose your seven teams from each league to make the playoffs, who would it be? I know that's a bit of a loaded question, but we did have a little bit of time to prepare in our sheet. And I think it would be interesting to discuss who are these fringe teams that can make the playoffs. Yeah, I think the fringe is really where it gets interesting. The top is not so interesting. I don't think the expanded playoffs or a shortened season really would impact that all too greatly. I think the Yankees still the team to beat in the AL. And then I would expect the Astros to pretty easily win the AL West, uh, cheating or no cheating, still a very talented roster in Houston. By the way, it feels really good to like evaluate teams on like players and like talk about baseball versus like financials and all these negotiations. Uh, but to continue on, uh, to win the AL Central, I like the Indians to rebound. I think the Twins might have been a little bit of an apparition. And while I'm sure they will still hit very well this year, I don't think they have quite enough pitching. Uh, but then my wild card teams would be the Rays. I think the Twins would still make it in as a wild card team. And I have the A's and the Angels, Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani, and maybe Joe Adele. Uh, creeping into the playoffs there. Baseball needs Mike Trout in the playoffs, and I think an expanded playoffs is the time to see it happen. Uh, but how, how about you do your AL real quick, and then we can touch on the AL, or on the NL, rather. I'm pretty much in agreement with you. Uh, Yankees obviously would have the best record, I would say, and that's not completely from bias, of course. The Astros, I think, are still locked to win a division. They had a lot of players hurt last year, and they still won a division fairly easily. They will have to compensate with the loss of Cole, which of course went to the Yankees, which is still a dream come true. <laughs> so they still should win, although I do believe the A's would give them some competition. The Twins, listen, I don't really know too many of their their starting pitchers. I know they have Odorizia and Berrios in the starting rotation. They have Hill on the side and Bailey as well in the bullpen. I just really know they have Trevor May. I should know more of their relief pitchers but apparently they have a pretty good bullpen as well. As for the wild card, I would say we pretty much agree there. I would just say the White Sox make it over the Angels since the Angels still have no pitching while the White Sox do, and they also have a great balance of hitting for power and hitting for speed in their lineup. Yeah, I think you are. I would I would certainly not be surprised to see that outcome. I, I kind of like hating on the White Sox, so I didn't really want to throw them any bones here. They are certainly an improved team, and I wouldn't be surprised to, to see them squeak in in this format. Really, this is just what I wanted to see happen. I want to see the White Sox sitting at home for, what, like an 11th straight year, a bunch of losers, and <laughs> I want to see Mike Trout, the best player in baseball, in the playoffs, man. And, and I'm not to say not to say you don't want to see that. You you're probably thinking about this a little more objectively than I was. Perhaps a little bit, but hey, we if Mike Trout gets in the playoffs and the White Sox down, I will certainly not complain. And it would be pretty funny to see the White Sox miss it for I think the last time was 2008. So that, that's always good natured fun. Maybe not for the White Sox fan, but for Cubs fans and just baseball fans in general, it's a little it's a little bit funny. Yeah, it's nice. We weren't able to laugh at people for a long, long time, but now I'm able to a little bit, so I'm going to enjoy that while it lasts because you never know how long the next drought might be. Certainly not 108 years, but with that, let's move on to the NL, uh, and I got the Dodgers coming in first. No surprise there. Uh, Braves winning the NL East. I don't think that's super controversial. It is a great division, though, so I mean, you could go a couple different directions, but I think the Braves are the team to beat there. Uh, now, here's where I will get controversial. Cubbies win the NL Central, man. Shortened season, team of destiny. They get it done. We still have the pieces. We still have the 2016 core. Uh, the pitching is probably going to be really bad, but I'm hoping uh, maybe they can figure something out and recapture some of that former glory. I still do really, really like the Cubs lineup, especially with Kyle Schwarber playing every single day with that DH role being added and still going to be playing left field as well. Um, so, you know, obviously a homer pick there. 
Uh, but my wild card teams, I do have the Cardinals and the Reds. So I'm trying to cover all my uh, bases in the NL Central, except for you, stinky brewers, because I don't believe in you. You guys don't have any pitching at all. It's probably even worse than the Cubs. Uh, but Christian Yelich is really good. And then D-backs and Nationals, my other two NL wildcard teams. Adam, what you got? Well, it's not a bad list. You can go a multitude of ways here. At least we agree the Dodgers have the best record and the Braves win a division in the East. The Reds, I just, I, I like their style. I like their trifecta of Bauer, Gray, and Castillo. I think that's amazing at the top. I think they have a lot of depth in that lineup. I think their lineup's a bit underrated, especially with a. Eugenio Suarez in the lineup too. The Cubs, well, you certainly have a point. I mean, I think they're, no offense to you, no offense to Cubs fans, I think their bullpen is just awful, which is not hard to fathom, and their rotation's a little bit off. But, hey, Darvish didn't have a bad year. Hendricks is one of the more underrated starters in baseball. You still get innings from Quintana and Lester. It's not a bad pick. So I'll give you creds for that. For the wild cards, we agree on the Diamondbacks and Nationals. I put the Mets in there just because they can't. their bullpen can't be as bad as last year. And the Brewers, you said they had no pitching. Well, I'll counter you with that because they have Adrian Hauser, who is a good up-and-coming prospect. They have Eric Lauer, who was a pretty solid pitcher for the Padres coming up. And they also have Josh Limbaum, who came back from Korea, and he's looking pretty sharp, too. They also have that lights-out bullpen with Josh Hayer at the top. Corey Kniebel, who everyone forgot about, is coming back, too. So perhaps they'll be a little bit better. And I, I just think the Brewers are a little bit better than the Cardinals. They improved a little bit, a little bit better than them. Although I could see how you make a case for the Cubs being slightly better than the Brewers, too. I can't argue with the Brewers' bullpen. That is a, certainly a lights-out unit. But that those are the first three guys you name when talking about Brewers pitchers. Come on, at least the Cubs have Darvish and Hendricks, man. You're talking about Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser. Who they're fine, but they're not really front of the rotation guys. That's a fair point, I guess. You can't really compete with the Cubs pitchers in that way. I just wanted to say that because a lot of people will think when they see the Brewers pitching is that they rolled over and died. But at least they have some household names in there so they'll give you some innings it, it's not elite though it's not going to be what darvish and quint and quintana and lester and Hendricks give you not by any means or even probably chatwood who everyone forgot about too he had a good year last year man people hate but he turned it around last year really chatwood did wow it was, it was much much better than 2018 granted it couldn't have been any worse but you know, hold up. If I can take just a second, he his ERA was a lot better, I think, than people realized last year. If I can pull up Tyler Chatwood stats on Baseball Reference, it was three seven six last year. Really? Yeah. Okay. In the in the live in the heart of the live ball era, home runs flying out of the park like crazy. Tyler Chatwood with a three seven six ERA. People forget. Well, I certainly did, so <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. I remember the Cubby is taking a chance on him because he did really well on the road, so, and away from Coors Field. It's good to see him starting to come together for the Cubbies, especially since they signed to that pretty lengthy deal as well. And Lord knows we need it because, like you said, that bullpen is pretty, pretty bad. Uh, hopefully, Craig Kimbrell can actually be Craig Kimbrell. That would be nice because he was actually the worst of them last year. He had like a seven point something ERA and gave up the most uh, amount of home runs he's ever given up in the least amount of innings he's ever pitched. Uh, but I don't want to don't want to drag on too much about how awful the Cubs bullpen is. Let's uh, let's go back to that proposal just for a second before we close out tonight, Adam. How? confident are you on a scale of one to ten that the owners and the players want to get this done and that they can get this done well i would say they both want to get this done in that sense i think it's probably around a i would say an eight for both of them because okay. they both want them to happen they both know that they'll lose more if the season doesn't happen however how confident i am i'd say i'll give the owners just with this new proposal, I would say they are about a seven and the player association, the player association is about a four because 
Both sides think they have all the power when they need to compromise. Both sides are still very far apart. I think we will see a season. I think that 50-game thing is just a last-ditch resort. Which would not be the best because then we see some random teams like the Pirates make it in, which I don't want to see. Oh, God. That would... That would make that make my friends at school in Pennsylvania too happy. And as much as I love them, the Pirates are not yet a, a playoff team. No, if the Pirates make the playoffs, the playoffs are canceled. That's just <laughs> we're just going to agree to to stop it right there and take that madness no further, uh, because they are certainly not deserving to be in the playoffs. Do they even deserve to be a team? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't know. Uh, sorry, sorry for the hate, Pirates fans. Chris Carlin, if you're watching, I think he's the only Pirates fan I know. But yeah, they are bad, man. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm confident that I am. I'm optimistic with you that we are going to be able to get this done, and I think we're going to have some very exciting news to report here in the next couple days, Adam. I look. I really look forward to to joining on that podcast with you, where we can kick back and celebrate, maybe pop a bottle of champagne uh, live on the broadcast, and celebrate baseball coming back because and how how desperately does this country need it and I, and I know that there are much much more important things than baseball going on right now but and I think everybody could use a little bit of positivity and I know for me and you that sure looks like baseball being played on the 4th of July that would be an awesome awesome thing to look forward to it would be a, a fitting close to this long, tiresome negotiations. This country can use a little bit of fun, a little bit of not speaking about politics, which is destroying baseball Twitter right now. Very hard to get feed out, and I know that's not really a relevant issue. But hey, man, I just you know we we like seeing sports. You like talking about baseball when there's good news to talk about. It just makes things a little bit easier. So, like you mentioned. We're both really excited to keep giving you all updates about how the season is coming together, when the season comes together. And until next time, this is the Exit Veal Podcast.